This is The Lydia Project, Conversations with Christian Women. Our name is inspired by the life-changing conversation that Lydia had with Paul, recorded in Acts 16. On this podcast, you'll hear from a variety of women whose lives have also been impacted by the truth of the gospel. Your hosts, Tori Walker and Taryn Hayes, hope that you too will be challenged and inspired by how the gospel truths are being worked out in the lives of their guests, ordinary women who serve an extraordinary God. Today, your host is Tori Walker. All right, well, Caroline, welcome to the Lydia Project. It's great to meet you and um, I'm looking forward to our conversation. Something that I love to start off doing is asking people how they came to faith in Christ. Oh, right. Okay. I came to faith in Christ when I was 25. I had been transferred with work and I was a little bit disillusioned at that time with life in general. And for me, it felt like a complete accident that I became a Christian. I think in hindsight, I can see all the pieces coming together, but it really came to a the a culmination went at a Katoomba Youth Convention Conference at university. I'd studied theology as my minor. So I think that I had like quite a bit of pride in terms of thinking I knew a lot about Christianity. I knew a lot about world religions, but up until then, I don't think I'd ever heard clearly who the person of Jesus was. And to be honest, hearing about who he was, that he was God, that he had come to pay the penalty of our sins, that he died on the cross for me and that it was personal was just heartbreaking for me. I just thought, how enormous is this God's love for us and for me? And and I gave my life in response to him at that point. And yeah, and then straight afterwards, because I, I didn't have any Christian family, friends or that kind of thing, I kind of then thought, well, what about if everybody else in my whole world is also mistaken about what a Christian is and who Jesus is and all that kind of thing. So after about a year and a half, I applied to go to Bible college thinking I need to get really clear on this so that I can tell on my family and friends. So that's a summarized version of how the Lord brought me to himself. That is great. And I've just got to ask, like, as a, an unbeliever then, what, led you to going to Katoomba Christian Convention? Oh, okay. Oh, that's a, that's a straightforward thing. I was looking for a carol service and roundabout way, then somebody told me, put me in touch with a church around the corner and I'd gone once and was quite overwhelmed, sorry, underwhelmed about the carol service, but it meant that I knew it was there. And then I'd been out drinking with my old boss on Friday and I was hung over all day Saturday and most of Sunday and I lived on the beach and it was this beautiful sunny day and I was kicking myself and I wanted to get out the house because I'd just been stuck indoors all weekend. Um, my flatmate was going back to the pub and I thought, what else is open on a Sunday night? And I only thought, well, church should be open. And so I signed up at the KYC conference thing at that church service. It was for the following weekend thinking, this will be clean people, clean, fresh air. It's in the Blue Mountains. That's what you need to do. Get yourself sorted out. There'll be no alcohol. They were talking about bushwalking and I'd never been there before. So I signed up to go on that at that time when I was still feeling really groggy as a kind of, I think as a kind of a penance, uh, really just thinking, oh, 
this will be good for you. But it was also quite cheap. So that was another incentive. Like, <laughs> oh, that's a pretty cheap way to go and see the Blue Mountains and stay up there for a weekend. Um, that's yeah so that I ended up going there and then I changed my mind on the day but my lift was an hour and a half late so whereas I was an hour late my lift was an hour and a half late and I was like oh I better pack then <laughs> so I just thought I was off the hook I changed my mind at the last minute but God's all over the details of these kinds of things and I ended up sitting in a car heading up to Katoomba and was there for the KYC conference so yeah it was quite surreal in some ways because it was, I thought it was a church weekend away and it wasn't, it was like a conference with 3000 people there and the theme was eternity. So like that was also quite confusing as a non-believer to have all these people passionate about being dead, like passionate about already being, and having this sense of continuum. I'm in eternity now, I will be in eternity then. There was lots of confusing things about those first impressions, I think, as a, an unbeliever at that point yeah so then did you go back and become a member of that church that you had gone um, to yeah I did but then it was I'd moved house and so it was I then went to the Katoomba Easter convention and a lovely couple pointed out that I should go to the church up the road and they came and collected me and I became a part of that church Oh, that's great. Well, thank you for sharing that story. Now, um, just as I'm hearing you talk, I'm guessing that you didn't grow up in Australia. You grew up in England. Is yes, that right? Yep. And so how old were you when you came to Australia? Yeah, I was 25. That was okay. with work. I came with, yeah, with my job. I traveled quite extensively up till then. I'd worked in a few different countries. I worked, I'd worked in France and in the US and in Kiev, in Ukraine. And yeah, just... Oh yeah, I'd even had a little a little job in Egypt for a bit, and th and I'd done a lot of backpacking. But I think that was all part of the idealistic soul searching thing. And I would study a religion and then visit it as whilst I was going to visit the country where the religion was up and going. Like whilst I was at uni, so I think Australia was like my thirty second country that I'd visited by the time I got here and I was twenty five. But it doesn't sound like a massive brag if you're English because that is everything is just very close there. So. Yeah, but um, yeah, I'd, I was like in a hurry, I think. I was in a hurry. So then you uh, went to Bible college, you mentioned, and how long did you study there? Well, that's the thing. I was initially just going to sign up for one year, and then I got talked into maybe signing up for two years, just so that it could filter in a bit more. And then on the orientation day, then the principal said that 80% of the people who go to Bible college end up in ministry and that never crossed my mind. Like I just was trying, wanting to get really clear on the gospel so that I could share it with friends and family. But I had this feeling that the odds are stacked against me. Like, what if that happens? And if that happens, then I should probably get a degree because then I've got the option if I go back to England, then it will be recognized. And so I, when I was signing up, then I said, oh, but I think maybe I should do the BTH because, but, but you know, I'll be 30 by the time I finish. And the principal said, 30 is a great time to start ministry and just sign me up for a three-year course. <laughs> so I do, I do kind of think like my, a lot of my life has just been, I've been oblivious and just God's just kind of put me where he wants me to and it's unfolded, yeah, without too much thoughts, which isn't a good thing, but hopefully I'm relying on him more in prayer than I was back then but I think still and my stiff neckness I think he still sometimes just does those kinds of things and puts me where he wants me. Did you end up in ministry after Bible college? Um, yeah of a, of a kind 
so like and it's it's just working it all out so I, I led women's bible studies for about seven years after college but we had children just straight off the bat so I got I we Mike and I got married at the end of my second year at the end of our respective second years we were from rival bible colleges and I know <laughs> yeah and then yeah we fell pregnant immediately so Tom was yeah born nine months and two weeks after our wedding and um, then they just kept coming and we and at that point then I was kind of I think I was thinking well what's going on here? Because I think I had thought that I would be maybe doing MTS or Cornhill or something and taking up a ministry job at that point. Whereas actually it was a process of me thinking, well, what are the circumstances that God has put me in right now? Who are the people that God has given me to minister? And that is what he is asking me to be faithful with right now. And, you know, like with children, then, you know, that you have, close to a hundred lots of parents in your life if you have four kids and and there's the soccer kids soccer friends there's the school friends and all that kind of thing but it's slow work and I think there's probably a bit of impatience in me that wanted to have a formal ministry job so that I could tick things off and get that sense of achievement whereas if you're ministering to people like who you're friends with and things then you know you're ask them to read a book and they say they read it they won't read it they'll say they come to an event they don't turn up and it's just slow 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 work but the lord is faithful and he calls on us to be patient and he does bring around encouragements and good things when we need to so like i think i'd want to emphasize that ministry isn't only paid ministry the lord is asking us to yeah use the gifts and the what he's given us and the capacity that he's given us each day for his glory with whatever circumstance that he's put us in. So it, it, yeah, it was ministry, but it wasn't the kind of ministry I thought it was. After a little while we went to Germany. And so then officially I had the title of being a missionary and that, but that doesn't really change anything actually in a lot of ways. But one of the joys there is I got a secular job teaching English for an anti-doping firm, a sports anti-doping firm. And in that, then I was able to pick a piece from the newspaper and we'd read it and they'd have to read it for homework. And then we'd look at what they thought about it. And then we'd look at what the Bible thought about it. And so that was, and I kind of thought, well, if they, they can sack me if they want to, but let's just try it like that. And they didn't, they didn't sack me. So that was really great. So they, and often in the discussion, then they'd swing around to seeing the wisdom in the biblical perspective and it would cause them to pause and think. So, yeah. So again, like these kinds of things just sort of happen. And it's a, a case of thinking, well, why has the Lord put me in this situation? And how can I use this situation and stuff? And often, you know, you can feel like you're just wasting your time. But to keep on praying and asking the question, I think is important. Yeah. And just what you were saying about, you know, the desire to have a, a formal position so you could tick it off. I mean, it's so tricky, isn't it, if you're viewing mothering as ministry. I mean, you can't tick that one off, can you? No, <laughs> I mean, no. I'm sure not. I mean, I, I'm thinking it's a couple of decades at least, but it's probably a lifetime yeah, <laughs> before yeah, you can yeah. tick that one off because you still love and care for your kids even yeah. when they're adults. That's right. And I actually was grateful that I went to Bible college because I could then pray for my kids and I could teach my kids and that kind of thing. Whereas, you know, I think I would have been feeling very much more 
insecure or less resourced if I hadn't have got that foundation. Like I think at that time it, it was still all being put to use, but with little people. And even though I didn't take any children's subjects because I wasn't planning on getting married or having kids, I took all the mission subjects and none of the pastoral like children's ministry type ones then. And I, I've kicked myself since then, like thinking, why was I so single-minded? I wanted to go and do mission work in the Middle East as a single missionary. So I was picking all of those ones. But even so, like, I just think going, yeah, going to Bible college was just fantastic at helping me to pray through the Bible and prepare things and look, dig deep and things and reflect. You had time to reflect and time to ask questions and chat things through. So all of that has stood me in good stead for ministering to the kids and yeah, and I think in general, actually. So for many people, when they take off overseas as missionaries, it's it's a long way from home. But for you, you were sort of going closer to one of your homes. I know. Was that a bit weird? Yeah, it was actually, it was quite odd. And I think it was even more odd when I returned to Australia because everyone said, oh, welcome home. How is it to be home again? And I was thinking, well, actually, I've just left behind my parents and I've just left behind my brother and sister and things. But yeah, that was a real joy to be close by to them. And there were just some real treats in having them all around. I think initially my kids, my kids were saying, Oh, but what about our cousins are going to miss our cousins and things. And then, you know, to learn that they had all these other cousins and these second cousins, like we go camping in the summer with a bunch of them and there'd be like 17 kids all roaming around the campsite together. And so yeah, so I loved being close by to, yeah, my family, but they're still, they're still close. They're just not physically close. <laughs> but that for me was, yeah, was, it was really like a special time that I got to spend with them all, even so. Yeah, we were there for six years. And what was Mike doing when you were over there? Yeah, he went over there to set up a Bible college. Bavaria has 13 million people and there wasn't a Bible college in Bavaria. So it, it was a branch of an established Bible college. So he set up the Munich branch of the Martin Buter seminar. And then as it happened, as things unfolded, then the refugee crisis happened as well. So he ended up running a church with predominantly Afghan refugees. And that was, yeah, a church just with them that would meet after our church service and so on. So they were really the two key focuses was the Bible college and the Afghan church. Both of those were quite hard to leave, but they're God's ministries. It's been re really reassuring to see how they've continued after we've left. Was it a surprise to you to be coming back after six years or was that just next job, time to move back? Our eldest son was getting sicker every year and he had really severe lung problems. So he was often had pneumonia on and off for seven months of each year. And oddly enough, then Munich is a little bit like, it's at the base of the mountains. So I know I've heard that quite a few, like quite a few stories of people who live in Penrith have in Sydney have similar problems at the base of the mountain. It's like a bowl and Munich's like a bowl and the pollution gets all trapped in there. And particularly they, they actually banned diesel from Munich because it was getting it gets caught in the freezing fog and Munich had the worst lung problems of anywhere including like the industrial former east I think it was a combination of the pneumonia and the medication meant that he just was getting incredibly unwell and was in and out of hospital and he got to the point where he needed help to get up the stairs he couldn't lift up a glass with one hand he was just incredibly weak and he was making it to school maybe two days a week 
but he'd need help with the bus and help with his bag and help with all those kinds of things. And this is like a 14 year old boy and you just don't, yeah, you don't expect that of a, that's not the way that 14 year old boys are usually relating. So we thought maybe he needs a change of air and we did a trial and we came back and he came off all the medication and after about three weeks he started to pick up again so that was kind of really the confirmation for us that we probably needed to move him back here yeah and he's been really so of a different kid really since we've been back like in munich he was always the sick the sick kid and but since we've been back here then he's been a normal kid who sometimes gets sick <laughs> like it's yeah it's a completely different situation it's good to hear that he's yeah. so much better back here yeah. yeah, there's no certainty, is there? There's absolutely no certainty. And like the thing that I think was helped me particularly when we were in Munich and sometimes things just didn't make any sense was the transfiguration. So, you know, in Luke 9 and particularly specifically that Moses had died outside of the promised land at the end of that Old Testament Moses story, we just feel gutted for him don't we? We just feel so sad that he gets to see it and not enter it. And it's just, yeah, really a dismal ending we feel. But then we forget that there he is in the New Testament, in the promised land with the Messiah. And just this sense that God's got the long view and we can't see the long view. We're too busy kind of weeping at the things that are immediately around us, forgetting that we have a good God who's got great plans ahead, maybe, but we're just like plow horses who are just looking at what's in front of us and we can't see God's long view. So that, but that kind of the transfiguration for me was really helpful just to see Moses there standing there in the promised land, like with Jesus and thinking, yeah, like this is an incredible God that we never, we can't see his plans. We can't see the way that he works. But so in relation to Tom, God knows where he'd be in 20 years time. I can't know that. So, you know, things look bad now, but he is a good God. And who knows what, you know, be happening in 20 years time. And God knows the kind of kid he'll become, the kind of man he'll become or, you know, or what will become of him completely. But just to trust God with our whole lives, not just get it caught up with the cares that are in front of us at that time. So... And how's the whole COVID thing been for you and your family? Oh, I think it's been, like, it hasn't been too bad, actually. Like, I feel almost a bit bad saying that, but I think but the immediate family, it's been okay. Like, Mike, my husband, would still go to work every day because there was nobody in the office, so he was able to be socially distanced, and that was all fine. And the, the, the school was really well organised, so they just went to classroom zoom classrooms and had their lessons like it was interesting watching the kids because some kids said oh this covid thing's excellent because actually i've learned that school's a total waste of time we just waste so much time there like i can get so much more done and then another kid was saying no nah, i don't learn anything unless i'm in the classroom i need the motivation of having other people around and so i mean yeah kind of a bit mixed in terms of the school thing but i think again it's just helped us to think about the God who's in control of all things, he can, you know, speak in a national dissolve. He can, he can do all things. And I think for me, obviously, then personally, it's been a bit tricky because I can't see my family. And I think 
I, I was kind of thinking, well, this isn't what I signed up for. I signed up for the deal. I could live in Australia and see them within a day and a half if I ever I needed to. And then, you know, my mum had her 70th birthday that came and went and I couldn't go. <laughs> like, and I don't know when I'll get to see them again. So like I say, we've got to just kind of make do and see what will unfold with it all. But yeah. It's, it's a difficult time. I think it affects everyone differently. I mean, Mum and dad have been very vigilant about all of the, keeping all the COVID rules and are very, very well, critical of people who break the COVID rules. <laughs> it's become a bit of a, a virtue, but it does mean that, that you know, they're being careful and they're being safe. But it's been worse over there. I think my cousin had COVID. She was a paramedic and she had all the COVID symptoms, but there weren't any testing facilities in her hospital. So... <laughs> The whole world has been thrown into confusion over this, I think. So, yeah, there was like she was told to take a week off work and then get back again because they needed her there, but not to send the kids out for two weeks. And she was like, hold on a minute. It's been a confusing, confusing time. But that, yeah, the Lord has established his king on Zion. So he's over it all. <laughs> we just say we just can't see it. That is so right. And I think the idea of God willing yes. in James, I, I yes. think. It just has so much more weight to it this year, doesn't it? Because you literally can't plan what you're doing next week because oh, right. you actually yeah. don't know what yeah. you're allowed. Yeah, completely. And it feels like in Sydney we've been sitting on a knife edge for the last six weeks and we just still don't know if everything's going to go into lockdown or if everything's going to get everything's going to be okay. I we just don't know. But that's living with uncertainty, I think, is everyone's yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, not knowing God must be so much worse in terms of living with uncertainty than knowing that there is a good God that's over all this. And, yeah. and I think that the fear of death, I mean, obviously we don't want any of our friends or family or ourselves to die, but there's not, there's a, yeah, there's a difference. Christians are not, that's not the worst thing in the world to happen, that you might yeah. Yeah. die, you know, you might get it and die it's not the worst thing in the world. Whereas obviously for people who don't know Christ and don't know what's happening in the future, yeah. I think that level of fear has just really ratcheted up. Yeah. And it's, it's actually quite odd in the way that things get reported as well, because you get quite a few survivor stories. You know, this person survived COVID and lived to tell a tale and this is what I think life was like on the other side of it. And there still isn't any introspection or reflection on what might have happened if they had have died or that they actually will still die, you know, that's still, still ahead. And so, yeah, these encouraging survivor stories that keep getting published, I'm kind of thinking they're, they're not as helpful as they think they are probably. <laughs> It'd be good to have a little bit more introspection or reflection on what could happen, what would happen next. Yeah. What about your life day to day? What kind of ministry are you involved in and has it been affected by COVID? Have you still been able to love and serve people? I think like we've, I've been working as a chaplain at Moore College and the sad thing about that was we couldn't go on college mission together and we had a group which were just great. They just already had clicked really well and then COVID happened and that I think everyone was pretty disappointed that we couldn't go I think by and large that college community's done a pretty good job at keeping up with each other and trying to keep encouraging each other and supporting each other. And I say that's it's a community-based thing. I think in our church then 
like with Bible study, it's been actually fantastic. The women's Bible study has grown over Zoom and there have been Doris who is living in India has been able to Zoom in every week and Rose in South Africa has been joining us every week. So it, there's been an accessibility which wasn't there when we were all meeting in person. But I do think it's going to be really hard to, to meet back in person again. Like I just think that people are going to be very cautious about that. And I also feel for people who are not in discipleship groups and all the people who are a bit on the margins, I'm kind of thinking, how are we going to, how are we going to find them again? How do we reach them? And I think that's, that's been a hard thing. If people weren't already kind of connected into the life of the church, then it would have been very difficult for them, I think, to keep up just by listening to, you know, the weekly sermon on the computer screen and so on. So, yeah, I think, there's reasons for encouragement, I think, in terms of the community, the church community, the church family. But there's also, I think, yeah, cause for concern in that we haven't necessarily been reaching out as much and we haven't, yeah, been able to follow up everybody who is, who is marginal and keep reaching out in that sense. So that's, that's a challenge. That is, I think, still a challenge as we're thinking it through. Obviously, I'm not in Sydney. I'm in Brisbane and our churches have been gradually meeting back for the last month, maybe five weeks or so, um, carefully and safely and still, I mean, our church particularly still doing a Zoom and in-person combo, which has actually worked quite well. But, yeah, gee, it's been so good to meet back in person. Yeah, I know. We went back and then one of the congregations apparently had too much mingling post-church and then it caused the senior minister to say, no, but it makes a mockery of the whole social distancing in church if everyone's giving each other a hug and, hug and a kiss over, you know, when they're on the grass as soon as they leave the church. Yeah, so we're going to give it another go. We're opening up again this week and we'll see, like, if everybody's taking heat. It's a bit like a punishment. Like, if you don't behave, then we'll shut down again. So, yeah, we'll see how we go. But when we did go back for those three weeks, then there was so much appreciation. I think it was a relief to see everyone. And it was just such appreciation and joy from within the yeah church community that we could catch up and see each other. It was really good. Yeah. Oh, and when our, our growth group met back together again for the first time, that was probably two months ago, maybe a bit longer. Yep. Oh, it was so good. We all sat there. I mean, we'd been meeting over Zoom. Yeah. But there were 11 of us in the lounge room and we just all sat there with like giddy grins on our faces. We were all just so excited to be back. It really was delightful just to sort of share that moment with everybody as well that everyone was just so excited to be there. And Yeah. And I think, you know, everyone's done really well, but it does make you realise that we're a body and we do need each other. And it's not how we're meant to be all fragmented and pushed into different corners we're meant to like be meeting up and encouraging each other and even just the ministry of presence just turning up is an encouragement just to see people you know they don't need to open their mouths they're just like they're here isn't that fantastic so yeah i think yeah we've we've been pretty appreciative of actually being able to see each other too moving towards the future then what keeps you standing firm in christ I think the thought that he might come back today is one anchoring thing. I like because I was telling you that when I became a Christian, the theme was eternity. 
then there was that I remember one of the illustrations in the sermon was talking about a guy who opens his curtains every morning and says maybe today Lord maybe today like and I think that that's there's that you know holding that imminence before our eyes the whole time that the Lord the suddenly the sky might roll up like a scroll and he might appear at any given time I think that that's that's wonderful and I think it's more than wonderful but I think that when when things are hard as well then you pray come back Lord come back please and we often are giving things over to him and longing for his return like life's life's um, painful life's hard and everyone's got brokenness and struggles and you just it just weighs on your heart doesn't it and makes you pray for him to come back so there is this enormously wonderful promise that we have in him and we can trust and hope in that promise that we will be with him forever yeah that's what it is isn't it what's it for you tori people don't normally ask me caroline good on you i think for me i love that my sins are forgiven it was the thing that just got me right at the beginning i couldn't believe that god would just give this free gift so generously and it was a realization that yes I was sinful and I had this burden and the fact that he would take it away that has stayed with me as one of my favorite things about being a Christian I just love that I can be forgiven and I love that as Christians we can forgive each other knowing what that means yeah so I think that that's a that's sort of a big truth and practically speaking it is rolling out of bed and reading my bible and Mm -hmm. saying my prayers and reminding myself that this is true and I need it and just keep on going yeah yeah I agree I'm just I'm just like praying throughout the day like I I've been struck in the last few months that you know we are in Christ and he is with us so we like why not talk to him all the time like am I like making the most of this <laughs> um, so yeah just to just to be very mindful this is an enormous privilege that the God that we know is enormously powerful he's the Lord of the universe but at the same time he has compassion enormous compassion he's close to the brokenhearted and he wants to hear so yeah just praying the day, praying through the day. One thing that I was really struck by, I've got my dad's mum was a Christian and all of her family side of the family were Christians, but they all immigrated and she she was the one left behind in England. But they all used to sing. They used to sing praise songs all the time. And I just think having, singing praise songs all the time would just be lifting your spirits and reminding you of your saviour and she had a very tough life but she was always talking about how good her saviour had been to her and how how like yeah how good he was and I just yeah I'd look around just thinking I'm not sure what you're on about like it doesn't look like he's been that good to you but she knew it as a I wasn't a Christian obviously back then but she knew it as the truth she knew it as the fact that she was blessed because she knew her God and she knew that he had saved her and that I've been really struck by that recently just to think okay well what am I what are my favorite hymns what are my Christian songs how can I use these to spur me on and keep you know keep me focused and keep Christ before my eyes as I'm going about my 
washing up and cleaning and those kinds of things. Yeah. <laughs> the mundane things. Yeah, I think that's how they did it. I think that's what got them through it as well. Like I think that they just sang their way through all their chores and kept reminding themselves that they were blessed. Well, what a lovely note to finish on. I, I feel like I need to have some beautiful, stirring Christian song as the outro music to this podcast, Caroline. <laughs> I, I can't sing, so no, it, it comes down to you, sorry. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Lydia Project. We would love you to share this episode with others, whether that be by word of mouth, social media, or leaving a review on iTunes. You can find us on most platforms using the handle at TLPCWCW. Music is Wholesome 7 by Dave Depper and voiceover is by me, Jennifer Mary. 